In today's program, one of the most damning reports about corruption at the highest level of the Washington, D.C. intelligence apparatus was recently released, the John Durham Report. An Arizona gubernatorial candidate, Carrie Lake, held a news conference where she committed to fighting on for the people of Arizona after losing another court case in the state of Arizona. And finally, the culture wars continue with positive results as both woke Bud Light and Target are hit with boycotts and pushbacks from millions of Americans. These stories and dictionary wars, all in today's edition of Narrative Wars. I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons, and you don't want to miss this. We the people are sick and tired. Let's peel back the curtain of confusion to shed light upon the mainstream media madness. And now... Narrative Wars, with your host, Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired, so tired. Well, this first report, this first cut, has to do with the John Durham report. Now, the report finally came out on May the 12th, 2023, and the investigation started during the Trump administration. So it's been years in the making, and it has finally come out. Uh, for some, they're saying it's uh, a big uh, snoozer, but it really isn't. Uh, it's just that uh, Biden has been in office for years, and people have forgotten about the importance of this report. So we're going to take a look at it. Let's listen to cut number one. This was the journal editorial report. It was on Fox News. Let's take a listen to this. Welcome to the Journal Editorial Report. I'm Paul Gigo. The long-awaited report from Special Counsel John Durham was made public this week, accusing the FBI of using raw, unanalyzed, and uncorroborated intelligence to launch its 2016 probe into the Trump campaign's ties to Russia, and concluding that the Bureau should never have opened a full investigation. Here's former Attorney General Bill Barr this week on Durham's findings. Both the press and the FBI abandoned any semblance of professionalism and took up the cause with a vengeance. And I think the real story here from the FBI's perspective is what an abomination this was, this so-called investigation. Uh, you know, if it wasn't a witch hunt, it's, it's a damn good imitation of one. Let's bring in Wall Street Journal columnists Kim Strassel and Holman Jenkins, who have been following this story from the beginning, and I might add have been right from the beginning in their skepticism about the whole Russian collusion narrative. Kim, what was your, um, the most important thing you learned from the Durham report? Well, I think the most important thing is what you just touched on, Paul, is that it never should have been opened in the first place. And the reason it was, was in part because the FBI skipped all kinds of uh, preliminary steps. They didn't do any interviews. They didn't try to corroborate. Uh, they didn't try to go and look in their own intelligence databases. If they would, they'd have seen that there was no evidence held by any government agents, the agency that Trump had engaged in any collusion. Um, and this was a decision as well. I think this is very important that was made by the higher ups there were people all along regular agents who were questioning this but the seventh floor of the fbi was calling the shots and they seemed to have a confirmation bias as the report said they wanted to investigate and that's what dragged us through this for years 
a confirmation bias. Well, that's a kind way of saying that the FBI was working on behalf of the Hillary Clinton uh, campaign. Now, keep in mind, this was an investigation that went under the name Crossfire Hurricane, and it began in July 31st of 2016. The election was in November, in the first week of November 2016. Trump won, but Trump was saying early on that he was being spied upon, and uh, the mainstream media went nuts over that. What do you mean you're getting spied upon? Orange man bad. He's just spinning lies. Just but well, it turns out that was true. He was being surveilled, and the surveillance started on July the 31st, 2016, and it was called Crossfire Hurricane. Let's take a look at the actual report. Now, it's a 315, 316-page report. You can download it. Most Americans aren't going to read all of that. Uh, it'll probably be a real snooze fest, but uh, you can read just the first few pages. Any report that goes into a tremendous amount of depth like this government report has something called an executive summary in the beginning, and it's typically less than 10 pages. And so that's what I, we're, we're going to take a look at some of the quotes uh, and what is noted in the executive summary. Now, why did they open this report? Well, the key question was, was there adequate predication for the FBI to open the Crossfire Hurricane investigation? In other words, was or even an adequate reason uh, to open it at all. And uh, so they took a look at that. Uh, they looked at also just the procedures and, uh, that uh, were used. Was the FBI uh, doing things according to the proper procedures and uh, policies that the FBI already had on hand? Now let's take a look at some of the findings uh, yes, the uh, Crossfire Hurricane was opened up. It was opened up with rather lightning speed. Uh, quoting from the report, the executive summary, the speed and manner in which the FBI opened the inve and investigated Crossfire Hurricane during the presidential election season based on raw, unanalyzed, uncorroborated intelligence reflected a noticeable departure from how it approached prior matters involving possible attempted foreign election interference. Now, the whole line that you kept hearing for years, even after Trump was elected, was foreign interference, collusion, Russia, and it just kept going on and on and on. And uh, why did they open this up so quickly? Well, it's, it's very clear. It, they don't state this in the report. But I'm just going to go out there and saying, well, if they took their time and they uh, actually followed procedure and corroborated it correctly, uh, according to FBI procedure, they never would have opened this at all, which is what the report says. Now, why did they open, want to open it so quickly? Because the FBI was working uh, on behalf of the Hillary Clinton campaign. They wanted to push out the story. Orange man bad. So we continue. The Crossfire Hurricane investigation, quote, within days after opening Crossfire Hurricane, FBI opened full investigations on four members of the Trump campaign team, George Papadopoulos, Carter Page, Paul Manafort, Michael Flynn. Now you keep hearing these names over and over in the news. So they targeted people in the Trump campaign in order that they could spy on them and gather 
information and push this narrative, push this uh, false narrative in front of the public. Continuing, our investigation resulted, in other words, the John Durham team, our investigation, quote, resulted in the prosecution and conviction of an FBI attorney for intentionally falsifying a document that was material to the FISC's consideration of one of page FISA applications. So uh, one of the attorneys for the FBI even went so far as to falsify information. And, uh, you know, he was low on the totem pole. Uh, He got caught. He got in trouble. And uh, this was in order to basically deceive a judge and push forward this false uh, narrative before the judge of the FISA court. Those are the secret courts which uh, came out during the Patriot Act. That's another conversation. Should we have secret courts? I don't believe we should. Why? Well, because this sort of thing can take place. No sunshine in a secret court. It, it should be abolished immediately. But again, that's another uh, program. Continuing with the John Durham report, Crossfire Hurricane investigators received several of the steel reports within days of their receipt. And unverified and unverified steel reports were used to support probable cause. So they received a report, which I'm sure everybody's heard about, the steel report. And it is something that was completely uncorroborated, basically made up out of the air, had no, no teeth to it at all. Quote, as noted, FBI attempted over time to investigate, analyze the steel report, but get this, but ultimately was not able to confirm or corroborate any of the substantive allegations contained in those reports. That is a damning, damning phrase. And basically, the people that push this crossfire hurricane, they should all be fired because this is uh, proof positive that the FBI was completely out of control and that it was being used in order to create false narratives to uh, circulate derogatory information regarding the Trump uh, political campaign, uh, which in turn would hopefully bolster the Hillary Clinton campaign. So the FBI, as I've mentioned, was working on, uh, on behalf of the Hillary Clinton campaign by demonizing Hillary Clinton's opponent in the campaign, in the 2016 presidential campaign. Now, it goes into a lot of other weeds about the Steele Report and the actors. I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to skip down here to the conclusion. And this is where the real, basically, bombshells are going off. And so I'm just going to read this. Based on the review of Crossfire Hurricane and Related Intelligence Activities, we conclude, that's John Durham and his investigative team, after years of investigation, we conclude that, quote, Department and the FBI, that's the Department of Justice, Department of Justice and the FBI failed to uphold their important mission of strict fidelity to the law. So they were not faithful to the law. That's what John Durham is saying in connection with certain events and activities described in this report. As noted, former FBI attorney 
Kevin Kleinsmith committed a criminal offense by fabricating language in an email that was material to the FBI obtaining a FISA surveillance order. So we've already talked about that. Information was intentionally falsified and presented before a FISA judge. In other instances, FBI personnel working on that same FISA application displayed at their best a cavalier attitude towards accuracy and completeness. And let's skip down to some more of the concluding remarks here. The report does not recommend any wholesale changes in the guidelines and policies that the department and that's the Department of Justice and the FBI now have in place to ensure conduct and accountability in how counterintelligence activities are carried out. And here is the final statement of the report. The promulgation of additional rules and regulations to be learned in yet more training sessions would likely prove to be fruitless exercise. In other words, if you're just going to read this report and you're going to create more rules and have more training sessions, John Durham's saying it's not going to change. The culture of the Department of Justice and the culture of the FBI is not going to change even if you come up with more rules and throw more training at the problem. And here's the final statement of the report. It's going to be a fruitless exercise if the FBI's guiding principles of fidelity, bravery, and integrity are not ingrained in the hearts and the minds of those sworn to meet the FBI's mission of, quote, protecting the American people and upholding the Constitution of the United States. Now, those are some of the most powerful comments coming out of this entire report. What are they saying? They're saying if people don't actually believe, if the, the, the people that work in the Department of Justice and the FBI, if they don't actually believe in the guiding principles of fidelity, in other words, faithfulness to the law, bravery and integrity, in other words, integrity, I'm going to off, I'm going to operate, act, and conduct myself daily on the job in a way that is professional and in a way that um, will honor the FBI, but not only that, will honor the people of the United States. These principles need to be ingrained in the hearts and minds of those sworn to meet the FBI's mission. So everybody takes an oath. Everybody takes an oath when they join the FBI to be faithful to these principles, which we already mentioned, which are fidelity, bravery, and integrity. If they don't take that oath seriously, that oath that they swear to meet, the FBI's mission of protecting the American people and upholding the Constitution of the United States, we're done. Those are my comments. We're done. Look, if oaths and if training and if policy and procedures are secondary to ideology, then the Constitution is just a piece of paper. It doesn't mean a thing. And this is what Durham is underscoring. This was an absolute waste of time, waste of taxpayers' money, but in the eyes of these people 
that conducted this in investigation. And in the eyes of the people that were supervising this investigation, it was a worthy pursuit. Why? Because they hated Donald Trump. They hated Donald Trump. And they pursued this investigation to the point that they betrayed the very oath that they took to protect the American people and uphold the Constitution of the United States of America. Well, Narrative Wars is new to the podcasting space, and I want to share some exciting news to you, our listeners. First, we want to genuinely say thank you to you, our listeners, our audience. As we've just passed the 1,000 downloads mark, we did this back at episode 10. This is episode 12. You are part of a growing Narrative Wars community. From the bottom of our hearts, we want to say thank you. Secondly, in the last week, we expanded to coast-to-coast listenership. Coast-to-coast listenership. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. You did it. You did it. You made it possible. So now we've got listeners in the state of Washington, the state of California, in the state of New York, the Carolinas, and Florida. And of course, we've got a whole bunch of listeners in the great uh, central part of the United States of America, the heartland of America. We've got listeners in Georgia, Tennessee, Texas, and other states in the heartland of America. Third, I want to issue a guerrilla marketing challenge to our listeners. If you're enjoying this program and want to see this podcasting community to continue to expand, please share it with two or three like-minded friends. Trolls not welcome. Share it with two to three like-minded friends. I think we're really going to see this thing take off. If everybody does this, I think we can hit the 5,000 downloads mark quickly before the end of the year. That would be fantastic. Our next step is going to be to offer a video version of this podcast, and we're targeting it, targeting that around the 5,000 download mark or sooner. So stay tuned for future announcements. Tell other like-minded friends to go to narrativewars.org. That's narrativewars.org. This will take you to our webpage where you can access past shows along with links to your favorite broadcasting apps. You can also go to your directly to your favorite app on your device, search for Jeffrey K. Lyons, and you should be able to find the program. Please five-star rate, follow, and tell a friend. You are the reason why we do this program. Now, let's continue. Okay, we're going to listen to cut number two here. Now, cut number two, we move on to Carrie Lake. Uh, She had a press conference recently, and uh, this was covered on May the 23rd uh, by ABC 15 in Arizona. Now, uh, just a little bit of background here. The judge in Arizona has dismissed Republican Carrie Lake's challenge of her 2022 gubernatorial election loss against Democrat Katie Hobbs. Maricopa County Superior Judge Peter Thompson ruled Monday that Lake failed to prove misconduct from members of any state election board, let alone misconduct that could have impacted the election results. The judge said, quote, 
The court does not find clear and convincing evidence or preponderance of evidence that such misconduct did in fact take place as a result of the 2022 general election by a competent mathematical basis. So let's take a listen right now and uh, see what um, Carrie Lake had to say about that. And we went through the legal system and we did not get the verdict that we wanted. Obviously, you all know that. We needed people with courage to act courageously and we didn't get that. We proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that our elections are a mess. We've shown and we've proved with evidence, with evidence, that chain of custody wasn't followed. We've proven that uh, signature verification is, is a joke, that it's not even being done, that it's not being done properly when it is being done. We're the laughing stock of elections here in Arizona. And while that was not the verdict I hoped for, I truly did expect that. I was not shocked by that verdict yesterday. And it will not deter me, not at all. The system is corrupt from top to bottom. And the only way to get an honest system and to root out corruption is to identify it, see it, and lay it all out for everyone to see. And I think we've done a pretty good job at that. I believe that Arizonans now realize that their elections are a mess. This facade that they've been putting on of cameras and transparency, it's a joke. They want to call it a hiccup. It is like projectile vomiting. It's not a hiccup. What they're doing is so wrong to the people of this state. And I'm never going to stop fighting for the people of this state. When I got into this, I got into this because I wanted to root out corruption and return our government back to we the people. And we did everything right. The people showed up in droves to vote, only to have their sacred vote trampled upon. And so we're going to work to correct that. So uh, Carrie Lake is a fighter. She is a real fighter. And um, why is this significant? Why should we be paying attention to a Republican candidate that lost an election in 2022? Well, the reason is because we've got certain states that are labeled uh, for any other better name, they're labeled as swing states. Arizona was one in the um, 2020 presidential elections, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and there are others. But these states are critical uh, in order to take an election or in order for a person to win the presidential election. So Arizona is critical. And the point is that there is obvious bad behavior that's putting it kindly in the state of Arizona. Uh, improper behavior, that's on the kindest side. Improper behavior in terms of uh, carrying out elections, uh, in terms of chain of custody, in terms of election integrity. Uh, Arizona is key in order to regain election integrity. And that's why Carrie Lake is going to keep fighting it. Look, uh, she's at the spearhead and these other states like uh, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and a number of others that are uh, your key states in terms of swing states, they could go Republican or they could go Democrat, but you need to have those states and because they're large states, they have a number of electoral votes. They are key in order to win a presidential election. And uh, so Carrie Lake is someone we should continue to track. She's going to appeal this case to the Supreme Court of the United States. 
And I'm really hoping that uh, she gets her day in court uh, properly and that she uh, wins that case. If she does, they'll have to uh, hold that election again. Look, it never made any sense that her opponent, Katie Hobbs, was in charge of the election office for that election. I mean, how can that be? Who writes these rules? So I'm uh, right there, right there. This was a sham, sham election. So for, for Carrie Lake, this is not a defeat. We need to tr uh, keep this, keep this front of mind. She's taking it to the Supreme Court and this case has national consequences. That's why I believe the Supreme Court's going to take it because this is a key voter integrity issue. And so it's not just a case that has to do with the state of Arizona. These principles need to be carried out throughout the entire United States of America in terms of voter integrity. Carrie Lake is not the only fighter. She's, she's not only a fighter, she's a stateswoman. She wants to be governor of Arizona, but she could also be a future candidate for the White House. That's what I believe. She's amazing. Uh, she's got a background in the media, in the news, and she just they just go off of her. Uh, in terms of when they, they throw word bombs and word salad attacks at her. Doesn't phase her. Doesn't phase her. She's got what it takes. Carrie Lake is extremely articulate. She's not afraid uh, to be in front of the TV cameras. In fact, she just lights up in front of the TV cameras. So Americans, and particularly conservative Americans, need to keep up on this issue. Uh, they're going to be doing what she calls, what Carrie Lake calls, ballot chasing. So they're going to track down the chain of custody uh, in the state of Arizona because that's where it falls apart when you don't have chain of custody and you don't know where the ballots came from, where, where they're going, uh, who had them, who, who uh, was um, uh, you know, driving the truck, delivering it from point A to B. All of that uh, is part of chain of custody. And we've got a real issue if, uh, if we don't uh, have any elections that are fair and conducted uh, with um, integrity and honesty. Okay, Dictionary Wars, we're moving on and we're going to take a look at this word, inclusivity. Interesting, inclusivity seems to be a fairly benign word. Uh, it has to do with the adjective inclusive, which means broad in orientation or scope. Okay. Also means covering all item costs or services. So if you buy a service, if you buy a product, you know, a lot of times you, you'll get um, a, uh, who knows, um, a flashlight and it's inclusive or it includes batteries. And you could buy a lot of things that include a lot of little parts, a lot of additional pieces to it. Just depends on how complicated the item is. But it includes batteries. It includes um, a cover that goes over it. It includes, you know, attachments. Uh, another good example would be something like a um, vacuum cleaner. Well, vacuum cleaners typically have all kinds of attachments. But here's the thing. Take a look at the fourth meaning for inclusive or inclusivity. Here we go. 
and includes everyone, all sexes, all sexual orientations, all races, and all gender expressions. There it is. So when they're talking, when they're using this word inclusive or inclusivity in terms of a, um, a press release, a, uh, something in the employee or the, hu um, the human resources uh, manual for a large organization, it's code. It's always code. Inclusivity means, hey, all sexes, all sexual orientations, all races, all gender expressions, you're free. Just, you know, guys can come in here in dresses. Gals can come in here and I don't know, whatever. And uh, guys can go into um, the uh, female bathrooms. Women can go into male bathrooms. Uh, and, you know, we, 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 we're open, we're inclusive, and it's an absolute confusing nightmare. So we continue with our third piece now. This is uh, cut number three. We're going to listen to this, and it has to do with both Target and Bud Light, uh, which have both been facing bad backlash over LGBTQ marketing. You know, that's LGBTQ, ABC, one, two, three, baby, you and me. Here we go, cut number three. Let's take a listen to this. A lot of cities and a lot of uh, corporations are going to be focusing on inclusivity, uh, especially as Pride Month kicks off in June. Some are saying the campaigns that really have... Did you catch that? Inclusivity. Code word. I mean, we just talked about that in Dictionary Wars. Happen all year round are a push for cultural change, are a push for equity and diversity. Others are saying retailers are just jumping on a bandwagon to make a buck, and not everybody's happy about it. Let's take a look at Bud Light first, because they've been in the news so much. What was the nation's top-selling beer is now struggling in sales after teaming up with transgender TikTok influencer Dylan Mulvaney. A rumor's now swirling of a bunch of layoffs for the company. Kelsey is here now. Kelsey, there's another big box store, too, getting a lot of attention and some... Well, do I feel bad about layoffs at Bud Light? I do because the people there that work for Bud Light, yeah, maybe they were just truck drivers, delivery people. And sure, they got to make a buck too. They got to put food on the table and pay the bills. But hey, guess what? There are other brands that are really taking off now. And uh, those brands are the result of people leaving the Bud Light brand and buying more of something else. So hopefully those people... Uh, if they do get laid off, uh, that are basically just on the front line, you know, driving trucks, making deliveries, hopefully they can get jobs elsewhere. In terms of the executives that thought this was a brilliant idea at Bud Light, uh, I just hope that they lose their jobs. Goodbye. Heat right now. Yeah, Adrian. in fact, really everyone is talking about this. It's a highly contested debate on the internet right now. You got people that are fed up, but also in favor of what is happening. So June is Pride Month, and now some big... June is Pride Month. Who who officially made June Pride Month? You know, I didn't see any sort of uh, campaign. I didn't see any sort of vote. I mean, why does June have to be Pride Month? You know, I'm I'm saying no. 
I'm saying no. Uh, that's a. I, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna accept that. Uh, no. Nope, nope, not going to accept that. I don't uh, think that June uh, gets to be Pride Month, uh, Gay Celebration Month. That's not something that uh, I participated in, that I voted for. Uh, June is just happens to be a great month because, uh, you know, a lot of people have wedding anniversaries in June. June is the beginning part of the summer. And a lot of people get married in June just because, hey, we're coming out of uh, winter. You know, there's spring. It's the beginning of summer. It's it's a great time uh, to get married. But no, no, I'm saying no. I'm throwing flag, red flag on the field right there. You cannot have June. And I didn't uh, agree to it being gay pride month. So no, it's not chain stores are rolling out LGBTQ plus merchandise in support of Pride. So Target is the latest store to do this, but it is facing some major backlash. A controversial tweet making its rounds on the internet. Target is now selling tuck-friendly bathing suits. This swimwear is designed to hide male genitalia. Can you think of anything more disgusting? This is about grooming. This is about signaling to the children in our society. This is basically about attacking the most vulnerable. Who are the most vulnerable in any society? Children. Children are. And so, oh yeah, we're going to have you wear, you know, gay-friendly attire. You know, you're two years old, three years old, you're a toddler, but you know, uh, you know, you, you were born as a boy, but you happen to, who knows, like certain colors or maybe you like to bake. Oh, I guess, you know, you like to bake cookies. Oh, so, you know, we're going to give you some tuck friendly attire and we're going to dye your hair. And what the hell is matter with these parents? This is sick. It's the parents who are doing the grooming. And really, this is so wrong. This is so wrong. Now, the suits are also available for babies and children, which some consumers condemn Target for selling. Other shirts read, queer, trans people will always exist, and live, laugh, lesbian. Now, some angry shoppers out there, they're calling for people to boycott Target, echoing similar statements to what we saw with Bud Light when the beer company aligned with a transgender model. Really? Tuck-friendly attire for babies? Really? The, or, or toddlers that can't even talk? Really? What, what is going on with our society that, that we're, we're dropping to such depths? This is just, this is beyond the pale. This is beyond the pale, folks. And yes, yes, we should be boycotting Target. But here's the point. In terms of these two different boycotts going on, the people that are the primary consumers of Bud Light or have been historically, the primary consumers of beer, who are they? They're men. So the Bud Light boycott is primarily men and they're switching over to, to other brands of beer. Who are the primary people that go shopping for onesies and toddler clothing and baby clothing at Target? Primarily, it's the women. So now the women are 
pushing back and saying, no, no, hell no, we're, we're, we're not going to put up with this sort of grooming behavior. You're not going to be selling this these uh, clothing items with these uh, grooming statements about gay and transgender lifestyle. And you're not going to be send, uh, we're not going to be supporting a store that wants to place that on babies and toddlers that can't even read. That is just despicable. Well, uh, it's interesting that these gay parades, actually they started as protests, but they um, celebrated, I didn't realize this, but after doing a bit of research on this piece, it was in 2019 that they celebrated 50 years, or they're claiming to celebrate 50 years of gay parades. Now, in the last 10 years, corporate America has really jumped onto the social justice bandwagon or the social justice train. Uh, the conservatives dub it as culture wars, but the point is that corporate America jumped on within the last 10 years. Why? Because they were sold this idea that it was good for business. Oh yeah, it's good for business. You know, you just want to be more inclusive and you want to bring in every group uh, to buy your product or buy your service. It's about selling products and services, right? In the corporate boardroom, who could not ignore that tantalizing tantalizing pro uh, promise of more profits. Well, yes. And uh, so in addition to that, uh, with gay marriage being approved by the Obama administration, and Obama, you remember, he uh, when he first was running for president, he said, oh, I'm for DOMA, Defense of Marriage Act. No, nope, that didn't happen. That immediately went out the window because he lied and he really wanted to push gay marriage. He did all along. Uh, so he got into office, he pushed gay marriage, he lit up the, the White House uh, with rainbow lights, and um, now we also have, and you, you, you can see this, although it's been going on really for decades, but it's becoming more and more overt. Look at the hit TV show with a gay subplot written into it. Look at NCIS Hawaii and the gay subplot, or lesbian subplot written into that. So you're getting it in Pride Month at, at major retailers. You're getting it TV commercial after TV commercial. And you're getting it in television shows, uh, although it's been in television shows for um, decades, really. Uh, sort of groom the American public in order to you know, advance the whole narrative that, hey, this is a great thing for America, great thing for America. So in addition to that, 2023 is the year, I would say, of the gay corporate backlash. And this is, this is why this story is a win here. This is where we want to capitalize and say, hey, uh, we finally, yeah, we finally have a win here because Budweiser is going down. Budweiser is taking anywhere between a 25, 30% hit, depending on the region. Uh, of their uh, sales and what, what part of the country. And in addition, addition to that, Target has now been flagged. So we're going to track this story. If the moms of America take this seriously and start shopping, can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen if Target across the United States of America lost 25% of their sales? 
Keep it up, Americans. You can shop somewhere else. Look, voting is not just every four years that you vote for a president or if your state votes on the non-presidential years. Voting is not every two years or four years for a president or a governor. No, you vote every single day when you go to the store and you buy goods or you buy services. So let's continue to track this. Um, So corporate America, uh, just to wrap up, corporate America is responding to the economic pressure. Keep it up. Uh, Remember, Bed Bath & Beyond, well, they are now Bed Bath & Bankrupt. And it happened after they tossed out the MyPillow guy. And that was back in January 2021. And now two years later, they are completely bankrupt. Bye-bye. Of course, we are transitioning, and we have been for a long time, to, uh, to companies that are selling goods and services over the internet. We know that. We know brick and mortar is having a difficult time. And there's other large retailers that have gone out of business. But could it also be that tossing out the MyPillow guy, that uh, people responded to that? Corporate America is beginning to flinch. Uh, Target is already pulling out some of that merchandise and shifting it around in the store. So we're going to continue to track this here on Narrative Wars. Well, thank you for listening to Narrative Wars. You can be a part of this program. Just email us at feedback at narrativewars.org. That's feedback at narrativewars.org. You can also go to the Narrative Wars um, website or Narrative Wars webpage. You can find us at narrativewars.org. That's narrativewars.org. And you can find links to all your favorite podcast apps. We're now on Audible, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and many more. If you have a favorite podcast app, just open it and search for Jeffrey K. Lyons to find Narrative Wars. Please like, five-star rate, and share this program with two to three like-minded individuals. And we're going to find this uh, show uh, expanding, and we're going to be hopefully at 5,000 downloads uh, very soon. Thank you. We truly appreciate your support. You're the reason that we do this program. I'm your host of Narrative Wars, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons. And until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. We the people are sick and tired. So tired.